21. It says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a garden, a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is an amazing portion of Scripture, and I hope I can do some justice this morning. And what we're trying to do, for those of you that are visiting, for the last six months we've been looking at this book of Galatians, trying to understand what it means to be free in Christ. That as Christians we are called to be free. Well, what does that mean, and what does it look like? And um, last week I had a look at uh, the example of Abraham, in the first half of the chapter that Paul takes Abraham and he says, this is a picture of the gospel to us. This is a picture of what it means to be someone who lives by faith. And if we look at the story of Abraham, we can understand what it means to be a Christian. And then uh, I brought some more clarity because Paul says, well, if Abraham is the example of faith, why then did God allow the law to come? And he looks and starts, I had a look last week, he started to explain why the law was introduced by the Lord into the history of the nation. And so, I'm going to carry on with that theme this morning. But before I do that, let's just review, if you like, let's just review why Paul has been arguing in this particular way, in terms of being set free from the law. Remember that he's writing this letter, he's writing to the church in Antioch, which is in Galatia. Why is he writing? Because in AD 44, roughly around then, the church had a problem. The church had a problem because it was growing. Up until that point, most of the people that had been in the church were Jewish. Now, in about AD 44, there's been a revival, there's been an explosion of new believers, and most of them are not Jewish. Most of them are Gentiles. They're Greeks, they're Parthians, they're all these people from all over the, middle, the, the uh, Asia Minor. And so, what happens is that the church starts to ask questions. They're asking questions like this. Well, do Christians also need to become Jewish in order to believe in Jesus? Uh, do they need to adopt Jewish customs? Do they have to dress like a Jewish person? Do they have to eat like a Jewish person? Do they have to wash hands like a Jewish person? And these are the questions that um, they are asking because it's really hard for them not to think or imagine that you could become a Christian without first becoming a Jew because all of them were Jewish. So it's like a really, it's a fundamental question that they are trying to um, answer. And God, in His mercy, raises up a gift to the church in the person of Paul, who's an amazing thinker, 
who is a person steeped in Jewish tradition. He's a Pharisee. He's born into that culture. He understands it completely. And he makes an amazing declaration that he says over and over again with great power, great passion, great force. He says, we are justified. We are made acceptable to God by faith in Jesus and his cross and nothing else. That's what Paul introduces as his theme, and that's what he's arguing for in this book of Galatians. Nothing else is necessary to know um, salvation, but Christians do need to know how they are saved and why they are saved and to know the basis of their salvation. That's what Paul is being arguing for. So you might say to me this morning, well, isn't it just enough to be saved? Do I really need to know all the theory? Do I really need to know all this theological stuff? Uh, you know, these days we can enjoy, enjoy the sun and the moon and the stars without needing astronomers. We can just go online and we can look uh, via Google. We can see these amazing pictures. You don't have to do a science degree, a computer science degree anymore to understand how to use a computer. It's all very user-friendly. Anthony, why can't you just give us a user-friendly version of the gospel where we don't have to think very much and we can just use it? Well, my answer to you is that um, that's not enough. We really do need to understand what it means to be saved. We really do need to understand what it means to be justified. We really do need to understand what it means to have a covering righteousness in our life. All the things that we've been looking at. Why? Because it is true that the gospel is a mystery, that we won't fully understand the gospel ever. This is what Paul says, it's a mystery. But as much as God has revealed to us, God has revealed to us as much as we need to know, and it's our responsibility, it's our duty as Christians to really understand the basis of our salvation, how we are saved, why we are saved, what we are called to, what it looks like, so why? So we can be salt and light to the world, we can be a lighthouse to the world in in a, a world that doesn't recognize who Jesus is. How we live is very, very important. And I want to put it to you that we never want to live from a basis of trying to just be moral people and do the right thing because that's not what God calls us to. He calls us to live by the Spirit. He calls us to be those that follow His voice like Abraham did. And that is a place of joy and that is a place of freedom. And I don't know about you, but all of our lives need more joy and more freedom. We don't need legalism in our lives. We need Jesus' spirit in our lives. And that's what Paul is arguing for, and that's what I am arguing for. Why is that important? Well, first you need to know if you're saved or not. Yeah? You need to know if you're saved. Why? Because assurance of salvation is a great blessing. You know what assurance of salvation does? It releases joy in your life, that you're not always doubting. I remember having conversations with my mum. And uh, before she died, and she always had this nagging anxiety in her life that she she kind of she wasn't quite sure of some things. And she had been serving God all of her life. I'm not saying she didn't know that she was saved, but I'm saying to live with nagging doubt in your life that robs you of joy, that robs you of peace. That's not a good place to live from. Am I saying we, can, we must never doubt? No, I'm not saying that at all. Of course there are things we have to wrestle with in our lives. But there's a deep assurance that comes when we know Jesus, that we know that we are saved. That nothing can take that away. 
that we have this peace that transcends understanding because we know in Christ we are sons of the living God. That's what I'm talking about. And I also say we need to know what it is to be saved because if we don't, we can make the gospel unnecessarily difficult for people. (laughs) And this is what churches have been good at doing over generations. Churches add things onto the gospel that are not the gospel. And they add on things like how you dress and how you wear your hair and all sorts of issues around morality. The church adds that on and says that's the gospel. That is not the gospel. That is legalism. (laughs) And we are called to be free. Uh, I don't want to police your life by what clothes you wear or how you conduct yourself sexually. You know what? That's between you and God as a child, a daughter of the living God. If you know Jesus on the inside, you're going to live automatically on the outside in a way that pleases Him. Are you with me? I don't ever want to be a person, a pastor, who's running around in the church saying, don't do that. Please cover up. Please, I mean, I trust, I never have to say that. (laughs) But you get what I'm saying. Come on. I'll show you this morning from the scripture that Paul says, if we want to be like that, if we want people to be in our lives saying, do this, don't, don't do that, you are still a baby, you are an infant, and you need the law still to help you. If you have grown up, if you are a son of the Most High God, if you understand the fullness of His presence and His Holy Spirit in your life, God treats you as a son, and He gives you full heirs, and He says, I give you my Holy Spirit, and my Holy Spirit will be your guide. Uh, That's the gift that you have as a son of the Most High God. What an amazing thing. He trusts us. He says, I'm giving you responsibility for your own life. And I'm getting ahead of myself. But here are the themes that Paul has looked at so far. He restates his gospel in chapter 2. Remember, he addresses Peter. And he says, no, Peter, we are saved. We are justified by faith alone. Chapter 3, he says, the evidence of that is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That is the gift that God gives, us, gift, gives to us. In chapter second half of chapter 3, he uses the story of Abraham. And then I said last week that that required a little bit more explanation because Paul was saying, okay, well, why do we, 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 knew, why do we now need the law? But as I say that all, just to summarize and by way of introduction, to say this, that Paul says we are not to relate to God as Christian believers through the law. We are free from the law. We have died to the law. We are justified. We are saved without the law. We are born again without the law. We live godly lives without the law. We receive the Holy Spirit without the law. Are you getting it? Legalism does not enter into this at all. We are children of Abraham. We have a covenant like Abraham had with God and has never been replaced with the law, ever. The law was only given in a temporary way, says Paul, because the people of God were growing into a nation and they needed to be restrained from sin so that Jesus could come and they could put their trust in him. And that's where I want to start this morning. Verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. I don't know what I'm reading from the ESV. Your translation might be slightly different. So then, says Paul, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. What Paul is referring to here is that period of time before Jesus came. 
You might have a different phrase in your Bible. Mine says, until the coming faith would be revealed. That means the coming of Jesus and the possibility of us putting our faith, our trust in Jesus. We were held captive. That's what he's saying. We were like prisoners. And who is the we there? The we is Jewish believers. The we is the church. Those ones that believed in the promises of Jesus. He's thinking of God's people. He says, we were held captive by the law and guarded like prisoners so that Jesus could come and we could put our faith in him. That's what he's saying. And so he was saying that God's people, those that believed like Abraham were all part of the nation of Israel. And God had a reason for putting this yoke of the law, if you like, on the nation, is that there was a sense the nation needed to be kept in check and separate from those nations around them that were completely pagan and ungodly. Now, before you say um, that is really unfair, let me just put it to you this way. In the nation of the United Kingdom, is law needed? Why is law needed? Law is needed so that we don't kill each other on the roads, so that if someone is irresponsible and is violent towards someone else, there is some legal comeback, and that the, the nation is kept safe in that way. Would you say that's fair? Well, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying in the same way there, were these, there was this legal system to keep the nation in check, but within the nation were God's people who already believed the promises of Abraham by faith. And it's the same for you and I. And I'm very, very, um, um, I want to try and be wise this morning because so much in our world is changing so quickly, isn't it? The laws of nations are changing so quickly. In the last 10 years, things have changed so quickly. The U.S. Supreme Court just passed... Um, uh, Legislation this week about same-sex marriage. All these issues that we need to, as Christians, walk through with wisdom. How do we make sense of all the stuff that is changing so quickly? Well, I want to put it to you, whatever the law of the nation is, there are still those inside of the nation who believe the promises of God like Abraham did by faith, God's people. We are still, we are still held by those promises. We are still living by faith regardless of what the law of the nation says. This is how it's been from the beginning, guys. Can I remind you? When the early Christians were told to bow down politically to the emperor, if they didn't bow down politically to the emperor and say he was king, they would be thrown to the lions. What did they do? They were thrown to the lions. It's always been like that for Christians. Christians have always been saying there's a kingdom that is higher than this earthly kingdom. There's a kingdom of God that where righteousness, peace, and justice reign. And our hearts, we are living for a heavenly Jerusalem. We are not living for this land, this nation. We are temporary here. And we make sense of this as much as we can as we go through it. But our citizenship is not here on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven with our Father. And so everything about our lives is aligning all the time, not to this space where we currently live. This is a little blip in, our, in, our, in eternity. We are living for eternity with what God has in mind for us. Is that easy? No, it's not. Is it complicated? Incredibly complicated, particularly now. It's getting more and more and more complicated. God calls us to be pure 
and to live a pure life in the midst of a life that does not honor him or his, uh, a world that does not honor him or his ways. And he says, I want you to be innocent of evil. He doesn't say, I want you to be innocent and naive. He says, I want you to be pure and I want you to be salt. I want you to be light. It's a very different thing. So the nation of Israel, in the same way that we have law to help the whole of society function, the nation of Israel had law, the law given to them. But within that nation were God's people who were living according to the promise already. Those were the children of Abraham. Are you with me? And so he says here, the law was a guardian until the time of Christ in order that we might be justified by faith. Notice when you read this chapter, Paul keeps saying, until, 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 until. He's making a point again. What is his first point he made? Uh, I talked to you about last week. The law is temporary. It was only put in place until Jesus came. And so Paul says again and again and again in different ways, this is a temporary thing that when Jesus came, it was completed and fulfilled and done away with. And my point is this. Um, I don't know what your translation is. My, my ESV uses this phrase, until the time of Christ, until the coming of faith. Um, some translations I know say that the law was a schoolmaster was put in charge to bring us to Christ. Does your translation say that? It's not a good translation. Why do I say that? Because one, the law is not a schoolmaster. And two, the only thing that brings us to Christ, the only person that brings us to Christ is the Holy Spirit, not the law. The law can do nothing to bring you to Jesus. Only the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. Only the perfect Holy Spirit shows us on the inside that we need Christ. All right? So why do I say that? Because the Greek there is es Christon, E-I-S Christon, and it literally means until the time of Christ. And it means what it says on the tin. It means until the time of Christ. And so it's another way of Paul saying that the law is only temporary. And so I put it to you, and I'm, trying to, I'm preaching to myself, I've, I've used this phrase before, that the law of God is eternal. What I want to say Maybe we should rethink that. Maybe we shouldn't use that phrase. Maybe we should say that God's love is eternal, His holiness is eternal, but His mosaic law is not eternal. It is temporary. That's what Paul is saying. Over and over and over again, we do not live by a moral code. And now, the main point of what I want to say this morning, Paul brings us to this point where he talks about the blessings and promises that we have that were given to Abraham. And this is the first promise he says. This is where it's absolutely amazing. I think this is amazing. He says, first of all, we are fully sons. What does he say? He says, all of us are fully sons of God. Full adult sons of God. Ladies, can I just help, can I help you this morning? And I, this is where it gets a little bit complicated. That means that you are a son. It means, as a lady, you are a son of the living God. Why does Paul say that? He's saying that because in his time, sons were the ones that had full heirship of all of the inheritance. You hear what I'm saying? So ladies got nothing. Slaves got nothing. Second sons got nothing. The first sons got everything. And Paul is saying, every single one of you, man, woman, and child, that believes in the living Lord Jesus is a full son of the Most High God. In other words, you get exactly the same inheritance as someone who is the firstborn son. That is good news. 
It means under the cross, all of us have equal share. Male, female, slave and free, we all receive the full sonship of a first son. Now maybe if you're a lady this morning, you're saying, well, I struggle with that. I want to say to you, the Bible also says that I am, as a man, I am part of the bride of Christ. I'm not comfortable wearing a white fluffy dress. You hear what I'm saying? This is part of the mystery of the gospel that Paul uses these, this kind of language. So he's, he's saying, for, for what he's trying to say is a beautiful thing for everyone. He's saying we all have equal share as full sons. It's right that we, we say sons and daughters in the sense of including everybody. I'm not knocking that. You hear what I am saying? Full sons with full authority. That's what he says. And can I point this out to you again? He says, we are not infants under the law, under the domination of the law. He doesn't treat us like babies. He's saying, I've said it already, if you, if you live under the law, it's like you're still a baby. You want to be told what to do. No, we have full access now into the presence of God by the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying, when God treats us like full adult sons, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is our God. That's the great blessing that we have. That's the great privilege that we have. God is treating us as full sons. First thing. Second, he says, second promise, second blessing, is that um, Jesus has become our clothing. That's what he says. He says, verse 27, You have put on Christ. He is your covering righteousness. He is your uniform, if you like. And now when Paul says here that we are baptized into Christ... I don't think he's talking about water baptism. Why do I say that? Because there are five other places in the New Testament. Romans 6, 1 Corinthians 12, Galatians 3, Ephesians 4, and Colossians 2, 13, where Paul uses the word baptize, and he's referring to the work of the Holy Spirit. He's saying the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit places us, and he's using it like an image, like we are baptized in water in the same way the Holy Spirit takes us and puts us into the body of Christ. And what he's saying here is once you've been put into the body of Christ, what happens is that Christ automatically becomes your covering. You are in Christ. And once you are in Christ, He is your uniform. He is your armor. He is your protection. He is around you. He covers you fully. And His righteousness covers you fully. Are you with me? That's what he's saying. And then third, that's the, the, the first, second promise, First promise is we're all sons. Second promise, um, we are put into Christ and He is our covering, He's our righteousness. Third promise, Paul says all discriminations of the law have been abolished. This is where, again, I want to be very careful in what I say. He says there's no male, no female, no Greek, no free. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Why does Paul say that? Well, because... The freedom of the gospel is in radical opposition and sharply contrasts with the Mosaic law. This is what I mean. Under the law, there was a sharp contrast between Greeks and Jews. Greeks could not even be in covenant with God, only Jews could. There was a sharp contrast between male and female. They sat on separate sides of the synagogue. They weren't even allowed to interact in the synagogue. Slaves did not have the same rights as free people did. Men were circumcised as a sign of the covenant with God that they had. 
women were not circumcised. There were all these differences of tribalism and discrimination of many kinds. But Paul is saying, in the gospel, in Christ, all those things are done away with, and we are one in Christ. What is he saying? He's saying that just because you might have been born into slavery in the old culture that he was talking about, in Christ, you had the same, same freedom as a free person. In the, the, old, the, the, the time he was living, the discriminations between men and women, he was saying they are done away with. In Christ, we have full access as believers, men and women, into the same Holy Spirit, the same cross, the same blood of Jesus washes us all equally. This is an amazing thing. The question then comes, in our, in our time, which is so mad so mixed up about gender roles and what it means to be one and what it looks like in our community. We have to be sane. We have to have some godly wisdom as we try and walk this thing through. What does it mean? What kind of oneness is Paul speaking about? Well, he's certainly not saying that all Christians are 100% identical to each other at every point. He is saying that there is some difference. I, like my, my good mate, Mario is Greek. The Greeks are different to me. They have different customs, different cultures. Some of you come from the Far East. Your culture is slightly different to my culture. Isn't it true? I mean, we, we mustn't be stupid. Paul is not saying that you are all exactly the same and equal in every way. That's what it means to be one. He is saying, he, Paul agrees, that God makes us men and women and with all the gender confusion that's going around at the moment, we need to hold on to what the Scripture says, that we are created male and female. And God did not make a mistake when He created us male and female. I was speaking to Ulrika the other day, and she said to me that in Sweden right now, they have created a new word for children that is gender neutral. In other words, they are calling children... What is the, what is the word? Hen. Hen is a new word for children that is made up of the word for a boy and the word for a girl that is now gender neutral, so it has no connotation of gender to it. This is bizarre. We were reading the, um, this week in Italy, some people, uh, some parents from a school re refused to take their kids to the school because this is what they were doing. They were saying to the kids, you can, boys, we want you to dress as girls today, and girls, we want you to dress as, as boys today, because actually we are gender neutral in this church, and in this, in this school. And the parents actually said, actually, we've had enough. This is bizarre. This is just the weird state in which we, I read this week that there was this transgender kickboxer, this guy who had this... Uh, operation, and they allowed him to kickbox with a lady, and he just about killed her. Well, um, she just about killed the other she. Why? Because still, your physical makeup, you can feminize it, but you're still in the basis of who you are. You are still male. I said to Helen when I got up this morning, I, I was in some ways dreading preaching this message because I felt like I'm taking on some big, big demons now. 
God created us male and female. I don't care what the culture says. I don't care that the culture says, I don't agree with you. (laughs) I don't care that the law has changed. I will stand for truth. I will love everybody. I will love everyone that God brings to this church. But there are some certain basic things that we still must hold to as believers. And does that mean that we might have some opposition? Yes. Do I welcome that? Not really. I I don't really want to have pain in my life. Not really. But what would Jesus do? What would the early church have done? We stand on what is true and right. And we gently stand for what is true and right. Here ends my lesson. Okay, so that's the difficult part over. Then Paul says this. Fourthly, he says, We are all heirs according to the promise of Abraham. What Paul is saying is if you believe like Abraham did by faith in the promises of God, you are his seed. And the amazing thing is that Abraham was given so many great promises. He was given great promises. He said, God promised Abraham, he said, you'll become the, the, your descendants will become nations on earth. I will bless you. Um, your descendants will become as much as the stars on the sky. I will give you a physical land. I'll give you a new name. I'm going to personally bless you. So what is God saying in, in, through Paul here is that if you believe in, in, in the promises of God like Abraham did, those same promises are yours. Now I want to put another caveat in. I am not a prosperity preacher. But the Word of God does say that God wants to bless you in this land. Now, God wants to bless you as a son of Abraham in the same way that He blessed Abraham. He does want to bless you. That includes physical blessing. And that's going to look different for all of us. But that's part of the seed that God promises us as those that believe like Abraham believed. And so, for me, the great joy of that is that we, sh- we are going to inherit some blessing here on earth, but the main blessing that is still to come is the new heaven and the new earth that we are looking forward to as Abraham's sons. And our numbers will increase on the earth despite opposition, despite persecution, as we fulfill the calling of God in our lives. And we will get a name, and we, God is going to one day look back on, on our lives, and He's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. What greater fame can be than God saying to you, well done. You persevered, you persisted. Here's my inheritance for you. So I conclude by saying this, that unfortunately, when I look at the church at large, I still see many Christians living as if they are living in the Old Testament. They are living like they are still under a moral guardian. They are living like they are still being restrained. They are not living as sons. They're not fully enjoying the joy and the freedom and the peace that comes from being a son of the living God or a daughter of the living God who is actually a full son of God, just to clarify. There's something that's held back on the inside. And that's what Paul is actually saying to this Galatian church. He's saying, you've lost some of that joy. You've lost some of that freedom. You've lost some of that first 
joy that you were born into when you first accepted Christ. And Paul says a very simple thing to them. And Paul would say the same thing to you and I. And this would be it. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. Understand, realize that you are covered by His righteousness. That once you are placed into Jesus, your covering, your righteousness is His. Know that that makes you a full adult son of the living God. Not an infant, not a slave, a full son of, the God, of God, enjoying the full promises that He has for you. And that means that you can enjoy the fullness of His Holy Spirit in your life. The fullness of the Holy Spirit. He who brings joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things, enabling you to walk through difficult things. That's what God has promised you. And it doesn't matter what your past is. Everything that God promised Abraham, everything that God promised His people is yours as you put your faith in Jesus Christ. And you are now on your way to the new heaven. You are on your way to the new earth. This is just a temporary journey for you if you believe in Jesus. And so there's this real... I trust a deep acceptance of what I'm saying this morning that comes by the Holy Spirit. So I simply finish by asking you a question. Do you know that you are a son in the way that I've tried to describe this morning? Or do you know that if you're honest with yourself, there's some kind of little insecurity on the inside and you're not quite sure? There are areas that you feel, hmm, I'm still wrestling with that. Or you know that you're still lacking a little bit in joy that there's some things that just restrain you on the inside and you can't even put your finger on it. You just feel, I'm just being, on the inside, I'm just still a little bit captive, not free, not bouncing on the inside. I'm not saying that, if you, that when I preach this that it automatically means you're never going to have periods where you're struggling with things. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying the baseline, I'm saying the inner part of you, the deepest part of you, there's a settledness and a joy and a peace that comes from knowing that you are a son of the living God. So all I want to do is offer to pray for you. If you'd like a deeper measure of that in your life, if you you want to say, Ant, I've known Jesus for a long time, but I still, I don't have that sense of Holy Spirit joy on the inside. Perhaps I haven't seen myself fully as a son. I've seen myself as a second-class citizen in God's kingdom. You're not a second-class citizen. You put your faith in Jesus, first-class citizen of the highest order, like everybody else. If you know you need prayer, I'm just going to ask you to be bold this morning and to stand, to come forward, and I'm going to ask the guys to come and pray for you. And we're just going to pray. We're not going to make up anything. We're just going to pray for the Holy Spirit to come to minister to you and to bring freedom and to bring joy into your life. Amen.